Hello, my name is Akeem, and welcome to my recovery podcast. Before I get started, I would like to send a shout out to my friends Billy G, Dan B, and Austin F, who I've lost on this journey and who meant a lot to me and in my early recovery. Um, Those guys really were instrumental in helping me along this path, and they are no longer with us. So Danny B, Austin F, and Billy G, um, I miss you, and I hope you're resting safely now. Um, I was asked the other day, why do I want to recover? And recovery is a strange thing, because you don't necessarily have to recover. Um, When I was in rehab this last time, I had a counselor, Mr. Mike, out there who used to say, you know, literature tells us that in the end, the ends of addiction are always the same. Jails, institutions, and death. And it means you go, oh my. But honestly, that is where addiction leads. Every run ends. No matter how much money you had when you started or how many drugs you had, they're never enough. Um, but every run ends. Uh, I never knew when that was going to happen. Usually the law or somebody else intervened or I ran out of money, but every run ends. And keep that in mind, because when you stop using, then you're left with yourself still and all the problems that came uh, with it. I used to use every second that I possibly could. And I've been reflecting on the 6th of October this year, it'll be a year since I left rehab. And what a year it's been. Uh, A lot of things have happened and it seems like it was yesterday. But those four months in rehab and then another two and a halfway house uh, were really, really instrumental in giving me a foundation on why and how to recover. Now, why did I want to recover? That's the big question. I have a little girl. She's seven. I have prospects. I think that I'm very personable. I think that I'm okay smart-wise. A little bit of intelligence is a better way to say that. But none of those things has encouraged me to really get through the the central problem, and the central problem is me. Um, I don't like myself that much, which is strange, I think, to people because when you meet me, you don't know that. Yeah, you can't really tell. Um, I was having dinner with a cousin of mine. Shout out to Sadia, and she said. Uh, you're one of the most confident people that I know. Yeah, it's, uh, what you're reading is confidence is a indifference that I have to other people. And that continues today. Now I work on those things. And I, you know, I talk to myself and I tell myself better things about myself. But in the end, um, why do I want to recover? If I'm worthless, then it really doesn't matter. Now, two years ago, this time, um, 
I was in the midst of my last run. I was living on the streets of Baltimore, a city I'm not from, around people who don't care about me, shunning all those who were in my life. I had abandoned my daughter and her mother, and I had given myself over to the drugs. And it's a hard thing for me to say because I love my daughter very much. And it's unfathomable to people who haven't plumbed those depths. And I hope that those of you out there who don't have addiction issues or who have addiction issues who are listening never reach that point. But I did. I gave myself over to the drugs. So kind of like um, that scene in New Jack City where um, he marries the crack pipe. And although I'm not as theatrical as that, nor do I see the need <laughs> to have a wedding ceremony to a crack pipe, I am uh, no stranger to one. And I made a conscious decision that this was how I was going to live the rest of my life. I can remember waking up in a bando in West Baltimore. And and those of you who don't know what a bando is, a bando is, or a bandominium, is a abandoned house. Um, and they're dotted throughout cities and towns. Uh, and you just stay in there. There's no mod cons. There's no water, light, or electricity, or plumbing, or anything like that. It's just shelter. And I can remember waking up around this time two years ago on a second floor of an abandoned house with a blanket that was covered in oil that somebody had given me to keep the cold out and my clothes being fairly clean. I won't say they were clean, but fairly clean. And then waking up being all covered. And the only thing I thought it wasn't to get washed up when I woke up, or it wasn't to try to figure out how to get out of that situation. The only thing I thought was, I got to go find some money so I don't stay sick. And that's it. And I live like that daily. How do I keep the sickness off? Because by that time, getting high wasn't about enjoying myself getting high wasn't about you know having a good time or the euphoria or any of those things that are early uh indicators of addiction it was about just keeping sick away and trying to escape the chasm that i dug myself now when i I talk about my daughter and abandoning my my family and my friends. It is a moment of clarity that I'm uh, I'm talking about. It hurts me to say that there was nothing in my life that could have stopped me from using at that point. It hurts me to say that nothing was enough that elizabeth that's my daughter's name by the way wasn't enough 
but in that there's a in that admission there's hope and there's strength because I'm then able to go okay well what is enough so for me uh, when I went to jail the last time and I my mind cleared because I, I went to jail December 19th 2019 for the last time and my sister had uh, I had a warrant in York County Pennsylvania and my sister had said hey um, I'll take you up to Hershey to see your daughter and then when we were leaving there she was like I want to take you I'm not taking you back to Baltimore but to her credit she probably shouldn't have um, no she definitely shouldn't have I should say um, but you know you need to take care of your business in York and I had woken up that morning pretty sure I wasn't going to jail that day and then I went to bed that night in York County Prison and I was so angry I was so distraught you know, I knew what was coming. I knew how sick I was going to be over the next week. I knew I was going to miss my daughter's birthday, which is December 22nd. I knew that I had no idea when I was going to get out. I had no idea what the state of Pennsylvania was going to ask of me. I had no idea anything. And for those of you who haven't been to jail, the worst part of jail is not knowing when you're going to get out when your case is going to come up, what sort of charges and time you're looking at. Because everything I went to jail for, I did. So I knew I wasn't beating any raps. You know, the DUI, I did. The driving on this DUI suspension, I did it. The possessions, the, the, the retail thefts, I did them. And a lot more that they never caught me for. So uh, I sat in jail, and I can remember I had my first drug dream in jail. And a drug dream, for anybody who does not know, is a dream that is so lifelike that you can feel the euphoria in your head. You can feel like you're getting high, even though you're just dreaming. And I can remember that happened on December 25th, 2019. Waking up and being so just out of sorts and not understanding where I was. I mean, I was used to waking up at that point. I was used to waking up in places that I know I was, where I was. But waking up and thinking, hey, I'm, I'm still in Baltimore and looking at the metal slab that I'm sleeping on and being like, no, I'm not. I'm in jail and have no idea when I'm going to leave. And I was so angry with my sister. I was so angry with her. It took about three months and a, a wise other prisoner to say, you know, your sister saved your life. And it took a couple days for that to sink in. And that's because an addict's brain isn't thinking. My brain isn't thinking like normal people's brains. I shouldn't say normal. Like other people's brains think. My brain says, why can't I get high forever? No matter what it does to me, no matter how far it takes me down, no matter what it takes from me, why can't I just get high forever? And why can't people leave me alone and let me destroy myself as much as I want? No matter 
how much you love me, no matter how much it hurts you to see all the potential that I'm throwing away. It's my potential. Addicts are selfish. I'm very selfish. I used to think I was selfless because every now and then I'd give somebody a a pill or a, a rock or something like that. And I go, oh, I'm doing something really great for somebody else. No, I'm still very selfless because I'm going to come looking for that in return at some point. Just set, you know, if I'm flush, I'm just setting you up to make sure that now you owe me. And so you remember that I gave you something when you were down. A lot of addiction is manipulation. But why do I, why did I want to get clean? And why do I want to stay clean? That's the other thing. Not why do I want to be clean? Why do I want to stay clean? Is a whole other question. I decided when I was in jail that I was going to do something different. That I had taken that life as far as I could take it. And I could either go back to that and finish killing myself. Or I could see if I could live a different life. I became open to living a different life. I didn't want to go back there. I didn't want to have every second of the day, every moment of my life dominated by drugs. You know, I used to eat a packet of Nikot cookies in the morning and a packet of Nikot cookies at lunch. And then... I would wait behind a pizza bowlies on North Avenue until they closed and see if they had any pizzas left over. And if they did, I'd grab one of those and have a couple slices of that. And that was what I ate for the day. No matter how much money I made or how much uh, drugs I was given by the guy I was working for, That's all I ate. And I used to get mad when people I might be panhandling with or whatever would spend money on other things. It would it would drive me nuts. You know, I'm I'm about two ten, two oh five, somewhere around there now. It's about hundred and fifty. And sinking. Now, I thought I looked great. I mean, I I had abs for the first time in my life, as I said last week. I was pretty damn chubby. All my life. And I thought, oh, listen, I'm skinny. But everybody who knew me thought I looked sick. And when I went to jail, it took me about two months to put the 50 pounds on. And if I if I can tell you anything, they don't feed you real great in jail. A lot of soy. A lot of abdominal upset. Not that I wasn't going through abdominal upset because I'm, I'm an opiate addict. So abdominal upset is part of that... It's part of that life. Um, but it was not great food, and I ate a lot of dry, gluten-free bagels to get me through. But just, you know, say I had 800 calories, that's still better than the 200 calories I was eating before. So I made some choices. I decided that I didn't want to live like that. 
Not because uh, I've got some grand plan or scheme. Not because I think I'm going to be a rock star or a rap star or a movie star. Heaven forbid, I've got a chipped tooth in the front of my mouth. But I just thought I could live a bit better than I was living before. That I could enjoy my life. Because I life couldn't have gotten any worse. Maybe some recovery would make me enjoy my life a little bit better. And I was honest about that. There was there was no sort of grand scheme or plan. I got no money. I got no prospects. I don't know where life is going to lead me to. But I know that I didn't want to go back to Baltimore. And I didn't want to go back to the streets. And plenty of people would have welcomed me back with open arms and been like, okay, let's get back at it. And I did. I've been back to Baltimore once since then. You know, everybody thought I had died or OD'd someplace, which is quite possible. People do it all the time. But no, I had chosen something different. Now, I got out of jail April 15th, 2020. You know, and it was full-blown COVID. Everything was closed. I couldn't get in the shelter in York. or I had no place to go. I had no phone. When you're living on the street, in case anybody didn't know, when you're living on the streets, you know, stealing clothes out of, you know, donation bins and wearing a plastic bag as a belt, you know, I think my waist was like 28 inches or something like that at the time. Uh, yeah, you're not paying a cell phone bill. You're not. So I got no phone. They give me a bus pass that gets me to downtown York, and that's about it. And they say bye. And I go, where? I, I, I haven't been out during COVID, so I don't know what to do. And I remember, you know, York and Hershey are separated by about, I don't know, 30, 40 miles. And being like, and I think York and Baltimore are separated about the same. And I remember walking to 83. Interstate 83, and being there and going, well, I I can go north to Hershey, or I can walk south to Baltimore, and that's that was the moment where I made decided to change my life. Not that 40 miles is an easy walk or anything like that, but I was at the turning point in my life. I could go left or I could go right. I didn't pray about it. I don't have a relationship with the deity if there is one. But I made the decision to walk to Hershey to be with those who actually love me. Which is, <laughs> it took more courage than I can say because, quite frankly, uh, I didn't want to have to deal with some of the wreckage that I had caused in my addiction. I didn't want to have tough conversations with my baby's mom. I didn't want to have to try to explain to my daughter where I disappeared to. You know, I didn't want my daughter to have to look me in the eye and go, Dad, don't you love me? Because 
that's the question. Didn't you love the people who you abandoned? Aren't aren't the things in your life important to you enough for you not to give up everything? The answer is I wish they were. But when I'm by myself and when I'm alone and when I think about what's going on with myself and I get into those dark moments, or as Douglas Adams described it, I'm in the long, dark tea time of the soul. There has to be something more. So, I didn't know what that was, but I knew I'd give it a chance. Something intrinsic, something within me had to spur me to be clean. And I'm still working on what that answer is, but I know that once I admitted that I was an addict and once I admitted to myself that I did need help and once I became open to whatever it took to get clean, everything became easier. I spent 20 years destroying my life, so I couldn't get that overnight. And it didn't happen overnight. Uh, I thought, you know, maybe 30 days in rehab, and I'd come out, and I'd figure something out about a job, and I'd figure something out about this and about that. Never thinking about just take your time. I didn't have anything. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any prospects. I didn't have a job. didn't have a relationship. I had my daughter, but I had been gone for eight, nine months at that point. So she was safe enough with her mom and she was living her life, probably a better life than I could have given her at that point. So what am I rushing to? I don't know. I just don't want to be useless anymore. And the guilt of it was killing me. You know, there was a, I was at a common ground here in Harrisburg. And there were a bunch of sayings. And one of the sayings were, uh, was, guilt will make you tilt. I had never heard that before. Uh, and when I, when I think about it, it, you, it, it drove me nuts. It threw me in a loop because a lot of my use was about the guilt that I caused. So why do I want to recover is the main question. I want to recover just for me, just so I have a better life. And everything else spreads out from that. I don't want to use anymore just because my use got me nowhere. And it didn't help me at all. Why do I want to recover? Because life is so much better. I don't need to escape from my problems. I don't need to escape from my feelings. I don't need to feel bad all the time. I can be good. I can feel good. And I can sit in my feelings and deal with them. That's the amazing part. That's the real, the real present of recovery is that I can deal with my shit without having to run away from it. I can deal with not being 
a superstar athlete. I can deal with not being a doctor. I can deal with all the sorts of hopes and dreams that I've lost and the personal recrimination and the guilt. I can deal with all of them without using. And I can move forward and I can be positive about my life. I can keep moving forward. Like they said in Meet the Robinsons. That's why I want to be clean. And if you can find it in yourself or somebody in your family or in your life wants to know how do you get clean, figure out what's the internal reason. My reason to be clean is that I just want to live better because I couldn't have been living any worse. And everything else clears up after that. Now, I'm going to do a couple things at the end of this podcast. Uh, My first thing is I'm going to do something I'm going to call Jolene's Corner. My friend Jolene um, had a lot of notes last week. And she's been harassing me about when I was going to record this. I didn't feel good all week. So um, I did not record on Wednesday like I wanted to. The post on Thursday. So in today's Jolene's Corner, she uh, she's going through something where her uh, boyfriend's locked up and she found some, some dope in his clothes. And she was like, I don't understand why anybody would do this. And I said, well, I decided to answer that here. Um, heroin isn't something that most people just come to and go, oh, I'm going to become a heroin addict. Uh, I can share my own experience. I started with pills. And then the economics of pills went crazy. They added a binder in the mid-2000s, and the price went crazy. And I found out that heroin was the same thing. Now, people tell you that, and you go, oh, it can't be. But the feeling's the same. And it costs a whole lot less. And then you start to cross lines. You start to say, uh, well, I'd never do dope. Well, then you do it and you go, okay, well, I'll never, uh, if I have access to pills, I'll do those instead of dope. And then you say, well, I'm just going to start doing dope, but I'm not going to buy that much. And then you go, okay, well, um, I have, I'll be able to stretch this and do all sorts of things. You know, um, the only thing I didn't do was I didn't inject, but I used to be a nurse and there were other things that I thought about and I had a lot of problems with just sniffing it. You know, I know people used to tell me, oh, you're wasting it, but I had enough problems sniffing it and it doesn't make me better. I used to put my nose up in the air, well, I'm a, I, I sniff, I don't inject, so I'm better than those people, or I can't OD, and all those things is, are BS. I'm the same dope fiend that you are. I'm the same dope fiend that you are. Whether it's I'm, I'm crushing up some Vicodin, not Vicodin, I shouldn't say that, if I'm crushing up some OCs, or if I'm crushing up a morphine pill, or if I'm taking some sublingual morphine or if I'm injecting dope or if I'm sniffing dope off the back of my social security card, I'm the same dope fiend that you are because we got the same problem. 
and the problem ain't the drug, the problem is us. And my life has become unmanageable. And you, in the recovery, if those of you who are not in recovery, the word unmanageable is used a lot. My life has spun out of control because I cannot control my use. I cannot control my life and everything is predicated upon what I'm using. And the fact that it's dope doesn't make it any worse than alcohol or marijuana or sex or gambling. Your life spins out of control because you have addiction issues because you have a problem with you. That is how that works. How you end up picking up heroin is because life takes you to that place. You end up being sick and somebody's got some dope. And you end up taking the dope and you're not sick anymore. You've already gone down the path and you just keep going down it. That's how you end up being a dope fiend. I know because that's how I did it. That's how I ended up being a stone-cold dope fiend. There's nothing about the dope game you couldn't tell me. And that's not a proud thing. That's just the truth. It's very sad that my life took me there, but I deal with that. And that's one of those internal things that I'm able to deal with without using anymore. Because I used to feel guilty about that. I used to be in denial. I used to tell myself, well, you're not as bad. The honesty in my life now tells me that it, I am, but I can recover. And that's what this is about. And the last little section, so Jolene, that was for you. I'm sorry. But the last little section today is I'm going to give you my hope shot for today. Mr. Kenny at uh, Daystar here in Harrisburg just to say people are my hope shot. Well, my roommate, I live in a recovery house, and I'll discuss rehab and recovery houses and things next week. I live in a recovery house. My roommate today was talking to me about how his life had changed and all the things had cleared up. He's my hope shot because once he got clean, all the criminality and all the legal problems and all the lifestyle problems and all the family problems, all of it clears up. He's about to become a foreman at his job. Not that he was never good at his job before, but he was not dependable. And that's my hope shot for the day. Becoming a dependable, reliable citizen and member of society all through one action, recovering. So that's my hope shot. Now, before I go, I want to say one last thing. Make sure you remember out there to be good to yourself and talk to yourself in a way that you remember that if you say something, you are listening. Tell yourself that you're a good person because you are a good person. And if you have any problems out there and you're, you feel alone, there are people that can help. Your mental health, your internal spirit. They are important, and you are important. And if nobody's told you today that they love you, I love you. My mental health is a big part of my recovery. And I hope that you are safe out there. Take care of yourself. And if you need help, please reach out to somebody because somebody cares. Somebody will help.
Nobody wants to see you suffer and quiet and alone. Thank you very much for listening. And that was my recovery podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a five-star review. And you can look for me here on ACAST. And I'm hoping to spread it to Spotify soon. Thank you very much. And you have a fantastic day.